Done. I've hit record now also. Cool. Um, hang on, let me just zoom this out so we can actually see it properly. Um, okay. <sighs> Ready? Yep. Remember, we've got two minutes for each each one yep. to talk about. Easy. Watch the clock. Okay. Three, two, one. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another edition of Kent and the Steering Team. Once again, you are joined by myself, Phil, my good mate, Drew. Uh, unfortunately, Kent can't be with us this week. This week, he's actually uh, sitting down with a box of popcorn, reclining in his seat with his uh, feet up and looking back in time. Anyway, on with the show. Drew, how are you? I am doing quite well. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very, very, very well. And I'm very excited to say to everyone listening, welcome to a Cat Street Rewind. Yes. On this episode, we'll take a look back at the great year in film and bring you our top 10 lists of films for that year, and that year being 2009. Ah, what a year 2009 was, Drew. I know. Uh, I, was in, I was in year... 11 at school i believe yeah um yep. and and now in terms of film it was a year where an apache faced off with a hunter where liam neeson flaunted his skills uh threatened to find someone and threatened to kill them we had 500 days of summer we had a villain become a prince we had pandora become a world far far away and some guys forgot their night in vegas drew yes our top 10 list of 2009. Oh my goodness. It was so damn hard. We're excited for this. We are. We are. Yes. It was driving us, it was driving me insane. I don't know about you. It drove mm. me insane. But I, it's done now. Look, I, lo- I, I love coming up with these lists because I find them a good challenge for myself. Yeah. You've got to be, you've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to be honest with the films you saw. You've got to go, which ones were actually bit shit out and which ones were actually really good. Mm. Um, they're a challenge. Now, the way it's going to work is, as we always do top tens, we're going to alternate between the two of us. Yep. Um, we'll, we'll, one of us will say one, the other one will say their number ten, and so on like that. Um, and then at the end, we've got some honourable and dishonourable mentions, and we'll get to our <coughs> sick Kent of the week. Um, now, Drew, let's kick things off. I want you to tell me your number ten. My number ten, after much deliberating and back and forth and decisions, my number ten is actually Star Trek. The 2009 okay. reboot from J.J. Abrams, who, by the way, had never watched Star Trek in his life before getting the gig. And I actually think that that is the best thing possible because it allowed a really fresh face to enter an incredible long-standing franchise and really breathe new life into it. We have a fantastic new cast who are still ready to go for a fourth film right now. They embody the roles, they make them their own, and JJ brings his fantastic flair, or rather lens flair, to the film. (laughs) I've watched that movie so many times, I've watched all of them several times over, and it never gets tiresome for me, so without question, it it did need to be in the list. It it was tricky, it wasn't on the list for a while, but I made sure to get it in there. I can tell you I've never seen it. Have you seen any of them? No, I've not, because I don't care for Star Trek very much. So that's kind of how I felt beforehand. Like, Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd seen a little bit of the original series, 
yep. um, like like a tiny little bit of the original series and the odd scattered episode on television of next gen and whatever else right like just mm. nothing i had no real clue about star trek and then i watched this one and it made me want to become a trekkie right okay I okay. I will happily sit and watch this Star Trek film with you. I really think that it's worthwhile. Okay. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> Might have to. Might have to. Might have to do that. Um, my number 10 is actually one that I've seen quite recently, but nonetheless from the year 2009, and that was Zombieland. I'm so happy now, you made your list. Ah! Yeah, look, it really it really did. Um, it was, again, it also wasn't on there for a long time, but it, it, it I think it needs to be there. Yeah, fair. Um <laughs> One of the best cameos I think I've seen in film for a long, <coughs> long, long time. Um, but but not just that. Like it's a great story about. See, I love the zombie apocalypse genre. I think that is fantastic, and I think they nailed this perfectly. I think they did a great job at making this film really fun, with a little bit of heart, but also kind of realistic in what what. How would you get by in a situation like this? And you know, it's. It's set place long enough into the future that it's kind of like, what do people view the world as? How is the world viewed? And the way it kind of America's kind of changed and the way America's hmm. seen differently and, and the way things are referred to, I think they're quite interesting. So yeah, it, it makes it in there. Look, it was an amazing year for film. It was really hard to cut some of the others out, but uh, yeah, this one squeaks in there and gets my number 10. Do you still remember the first rule of Zombieland? Nope. Cardio. Cardio, right. And there's also... You Second know, rule? Safety first. A buckle up, I don't know. Second rule? Double tap. No. No idea. Can't tell you. Double tap. But I love it. And see, I'm going to have to rewatch it, and I'm disappointed I didn't see the sequel this year. But oh, I'll, the sequel. Um, I, will, I will watch it. Well, last year, I should Cracking say. Yes, film. but I will, I will make sure that I watch it. Um, again, I'm so thankful that you showed me the film. So, I'm yeah. really glad that I did. I, I'm really, really happy that you have now seen it and it's become a part of your top 10. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I know, because it's yeah. phenomenal. Uh, oh, look, anyway, on with the show. Number nine, <laughs> The Hangover. Again, yeah, okay. again, I was umming and ahhing so much because it's such a despicable, deplorable film and yet I love it so <laughs> much. I'd never seen anything like it. It was just like, I've, I'd seen every Todd Phillips comedy before mm -hmm. it. I'd seen all of them, old school road trip, Starsky and Hutch. Like the, to, to me, the guy could do no wrong, but this was just next level. It was so funny. Nothing had come out like it before. It was just... It was a balls-to-the-wall comedy. Like, do, yeah, do you remember no, the I, first I, time I, you watched I, it? Yeah, absolutely I do. Like, absolutely I do. And, and I... It blows me away still. I mean, it, it, it. I can tell you it features in my top ten, so I'm not going to say too much about it just yet. I, but, um, yeah. I, yeah, look... I mean, in terms of memorable films of the year, you, you, you can't really look much further than in, than than The Hangover. The Hangover is yeah. such an iconic film now, and, and uh, you know, uh, you're right, it was so different from, from anything else. The fact that everyone still talks about it to this day, like, 
that's a true yeah, testament and look, to on it. on its own merit, and on its own merit, there are two sequels beyond it. But yeah, in two thousand nine, this film stood alone, and you know what, what a pedestal it made for itself. You know, it it, it really put itself in um in the ring for mm. for for great comedies because it's amazing. It's such a great film. Agreed. All mm. right, where's your uh, number nine? Number nine, The Hurt Locker is my number nine. Ooh. Now, look, I th- I loved The Hurt Locker. It was such a great film. And just, again, you know, a lot of my lists always come down to the grittiness of them. And, yep. and gritty films always have to be a part of the top ten, I think. And um, it's a genre I love so much. It should be its own genre, gritty. And, you know, this film balanced grittiness with realism. And to get the insight in, in, into that world of, of, you know, and, and, and you know, that, that whole kind of, not opening sequence, but that first kind of major, major plot point where they're, you know, they're getting in there to tamper with the, the, the bomb. Um, like, you, you, you know, I felt myself sweating sitting there watching it. Like, I was stressed and nervous watching it. And again, it's that whole idea of, of realism. And I think it won Best Picture that year. It did because it was quite amusing watching it happen because yeah. it was running against yeah, exactly. Avatar. Yeah. And for those of you that are unaware, The Hurt Locker is directed by James Cameron's ex-wife, Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> and for for reasons unknown, I'm assuming whoever pl- did the seating plan wanted to have a little giggle. They sat them one behind the other. <laughs> So and then it won. Yeah, and James Cameron jumps up straight away to wish her on her win, which was very yeah. sweet. But yeah, it was very funny watching the camera focus on the two of them to see which one was going to get up and win. Because it was going to be those two, and it was, and uh, it was one of the two of them. And and yeah, look, it, because it was an amazing film. Like it is such a great film, and if you haven't seen it, you have to watch it again. It's the rawness, and it's the realism, and it's the the way it kind of plays with your mind, not in a psychological thriller sort of way, but in just that, again, it stresses you out because you feel what's really happening. Again, it depicts a real life event in such a, you know, a strong way. It changed you and and it, yeah, I I think that it made, it it changed my opinion on the way that the warfare operates and, and, um, yeah, it showed the human side to it. You just think of it as war, but there's there's people involved, and there's people that don't give a shit about the fact that they're fighting. They just have a job to do, and uh, I guess yeah, that's why it's my number nine. I guess I'm gonna have to watch it. Yeah, yeah, I think I've, you should. I've, if you I've, haven't, I've never watched it. I've never watched it, Drew. I think you should. I think I said it's not like Jarhead, which is Jarhead's like a like a not a comedy. It is very gritty and dirty too. But I've seen but Jarhead, it, and Jarhead this one, functions very differently. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And and I know that I'm using them because they're both war settings, but yeah, this one's the winner out of those two. People often put them side by side because they're the okay. same war genre, but this one's the winner, obviously. Alrighty. Yeah. I'll keep that in mind. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Alrighty. Uh, number eight, The Lovely Bones. Oh my God. I didn't... Yeah, okay. I know, I know your feeling on this movie. I, I know you're not a fan. Let me just type out a... Let me just type out a dishonorable mention. Continue. <laughs> Fuck. I'm of, course you, of course you i can hear you okay yep. the lovely yep. bones like um i knew very little about it going in i'd seen a trailer it looked s- somewhat interesting 
I think the thing that grabbed me the most was the fact that Peter Jackson was directing something again and that it was not Middle Earth related or King Kong or any, like it was nothing grand. It was more like the films he used to make that dealt with the supernatural and that was interesting to me. The other thing that was interesting to me was that Steven Spielberg was producing and Mm -hmm. The other other thing that was interesting to me was that I could not pronounce the lead actress's name. No, that's a, that's a that tough one. that and took look, years look, I, I, for me to figure that one out. Say it now, Sersha. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> look now, credit where it's due as well. Like, I, look, I'm I've got a man crush on Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> I think that he's he's one of my favorite actors. I mean, he's not always the best. He wasn't. Actor, he wasn't meant to play actor. the role in it. No, really. It's meant okay. to be Ryan Gosling. <laughs> really? really? Well, I think that I think that you know it's fun, funny. Mark Wahlberg kind of fits. I can see him better in the role, but Mark Wahlberg, uh, but um, Ryan Gosling's yeah, a I, very look, versatile I thought, actor as well. I thought Mark Wahlberg was perfect in it. But I think the real hero of it was Stanley Tucci playing such a creep. Didn't he get the Oscar such for it as well? I hope so because he played such a creep and he did. An amazing job. I think yeah. he apologized for how creepy he was. Yeah, over and he over. Was <laughs> so, so creepy. But he, you know, it shows. I would say that he is an underrated actor, and that role oh, proves that. That role proves it. Like he is phenomenal, mm. um, and has great kind of range in what he can do. And uh, look, I had issues with the film. The fact that I had no idea what the hell was happening half the time. Yep. Got frustrated with the fact that they weren't focusing on the kind of the real story of what happened, they were focusing on her jumping around La La Land being absolutely lost in the fairies kind of thing, which drove me insane. But no, I, I, I get it. I, if you love it. Again, Sarah loves that film and is so disappointed that I really don't like that film. It's fine. I'll sit and watch it with Sarah Moon. Happily, there I you have, go. I have you, got Drew. the two-disc special edition of it on Blu-ray here. Well, look, we're going to have to organize that for when I get back and you guys are going to have to do that, no doubt. We will. Um, we will. Yeah. Um, my number eight is District Nine. Good choice. Yeah, District Nine is a, it's. Oh. There's another name Again, that's tricky like... to pronounce in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm not gonna, not going to do it. Van um, der <laughs> Look, District Nine is such. <sighs> what I love about District Nine the most is that so all these other films are focusing on. You know, you look at look at Independence Day. You look at Signs. You look at um, I don't know, like well, twenty twelve. You look at all these kind of big kind of blockbuster things where it's all about, um, oh my god, the world's ending and it happens to affect exactly America and only America. It's like America is the only America is the world, and all these issues revolve around America. I loved that this film took it as what if aliens came to earth and they just happened to not go America because why the hell they know what the hell America is and it happened to land above Johannesburg in South Africa and then the way that we you know I wasn't particularly I think I was quite naive I was quite naive and stupid in the year 2009 and, and I loved the fact that I got to look at and listen to the South African accent and see the way kind of slums worked and and um the character that we, we got, and I thought it was an interesting take on that whole kind of document or mockumentary kind of take on it. Mm. And I hadn't seen a mockumentary from this kind of genre before. We'd seen it from like horror movies and stuff like that with Blair Witch 
and Paranormal Activity even um, from 2009 as well. Um, but District 9 did it from a very kind of serious point of view and then we saw it kind of all unfold and fall apart. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I also loved the way they made the aliens not be able to speak English. The prawn, prawns, as they call them. Fucking prawns! Um, the way that they... Yeah, they made them not American, not speak English, not be hostile, be poor like there is on Earth. But they, they escaped and they were basically refugees. And I thought that was an interesting take on it. And I thought that was a great film. And that's, yeah, my number eight. Excellent choice. Look, I, I remember the first time I watched that movie and it was just this stunning thing. Like, mm-hmm. I, do you recall seeing anything quite like that before that? No. A documentary and, and style and sci-fi cin- thriller. No, and I remember leaving the cinema exactly thinking that, going, I can't recall seeing anything like that. Yeah. Like, I cannot. And it was the most bizarre kind of interesting film mm. but it I, I i it's funny i felt more refreshed walking out of there like i felt so relieved that it wasn't what i thought it was going to be which is something very obvious and very kind of what you'd expect an american city getting attacked i remember being, i didn't know anything yeah. about it going in and i thought it was amazing i remember being very happy just just being like i'm glad this exists and i think now i'm also glad that they never really did rush out that sequel they talked so much about mm-hmm. making a second one and I think they still could, but I'm glad it hasn't happened yet. No, e- exactly. I think that it kind of plays on the time of, uh, on the storyline, the idea of, mm. you know, we're waiting for for them to come back. Indeed. Um, number seven, as we crack on, is Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Guy Ritchie, Robert Towney Jr., Jude Law, Rachel McAdams. Like, these are all great heavy hitters that came together to tell us, well, to retell a story that arguably did not need retelling. Like, <laughs> if I remember correctly, the big, the big to-do about this particular version was that they were not simply doing a Sherlock Holmes movie, but that they were adapting a graphic novel of Sherlock Holmes. And that it okay, would be... Okay, I didn't know and that. And that it would be a bit different because it was adapting a different source material and that because of that it would have a particular style when i watch it i feel like i'm just watching a guy ritchie movie but it also happens to be sherlock holmes yeah because i think that's that's kind of what guy ritchie is like now like we we've so used to his gangster films that Mm. even when he breaks the mold it still feels like them you look at Sherlock Holmes or Aladdin or The Man from Uncle, they do have those traits to them. I think the only one that didn't quite have it was The Man from Uncle. It was the only one that felt a little bit different. Mm. But certainly, if if you watch Aladdin, and I rewatched Aladdin the other night, 100%. It's a Guy Ritchie gangster film. Well, it's funny. I haven't seen Sherlock Holmes, but I've been meaning to. And, You've and never I've, seen and, it? And, no, no, I've, I, but I've been meaning to. And I've been meaning to... Look, I've been meaning to, one, because it's a Guy Ritchie movie, but also because I have a lot of respect for Robert Downey Jr. as an actor. I genuinely... I'm I'm surprised that you haven't seen it, more because I know that it's something you'll really enjoy. Okay. It's really good, and the sequel, oh. Jared Harris playing Moriarty. That's just perfect casting. Um... 
Now, this this brings me to Your number um, seven. my number seven. And my number seven is James Cameron's Avatar. There it is at number seven. Interesting. Um, for me. Yeah, the reason it sits at number seven is because it's a really long film. Now, I will say I've seen it several times and I've seen all the different versions of it. Um, so I can say that I've genuinely given it the time of day to, to watch it. Mm. You know, I have. Um, it sits at number seven because it was... I think it was... You know, it's it's funny. It 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 is not a particularly original story. The world where it's set, I think, is quite original and quite different and unique. And I love the fact that it took so long to produce this film because he was... He, he was waiting for the technology to exist, and he finally had the, the technology and went ahead and did it. It only sits at number seven. Now, I think that this film almost deserves... Well, no, I think that this film would naturally sit a lot higher up on this list, but it only sits at number seven because, <clears throat> one, I'm not sure if it's supposed to look completely animated or not. I'm still not sure of that, and I've never been able to see that. In fact, looking at the footage of the, the two coming out this year and the year after, or whatever it is, um, they look still completely animated. I don't, and I've never known if that's on t- intentional or not, or if it's meant to look completely realistic, because it hasn't at any point. And I think we're going to be trying to be sold on the idea that it did look real, and it really doesn't. Um, now, this is the only film that's kind of sitting on this list that I'm only going to slag rather than... Um, compliment and it's sitting at number seven it's because that's how amazing the film is um so it's only there because it i'm not sure if it's animated or not um, so it's down at number seven because it's not an original story by any means it's basically pocahontas in space um it is it's also down here on the list because it is a really long film now this is one of the few films where it kind of gets away with being that long but nonetheless it is a really long film I can't just go back to it at any kind of point in time and go, okay, I'll watch that film because it's too long. You need to put aside like half a day to watch this film and kind of get over the fact that you've watched the film. Um, it is probably the only film, funnily enough, that maybe almost tear up watching it. And in fact, the moment that it, that I almost teared up was the most corny, sappy moment of the entire film. And that's when the, I can't remember what it is, the, the black kind of evil creature on, on um, Pandora um, they're all being attacked, and then it kind of stopped and lowered itself and bowed to I can't remember a name, the chick Nari, whatever her name is, and allowed her to to ride the the beast, um, and uh, defeat the um, the soldiers. And so yeah, but it's it's number seven. Um, it's an amazing film, and it speaks for itself. But so I've had to kind of give it the attacks that it kind of did really deserve that people didn't really give it. Um, yeah, it's my number seven. Thoughts, Drew? I'm just thinking. Mm. Of? About? <sighs> what are you thinking of? You put it so high on the list. Well, I put it so high on the list... I mean, I oh, low on the list. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I did put it so low on the list, but that's because it's an easy really number curious. one or two. I'm really curious it's... about mm. what you've got under it now. Like, what's, <laughs> what's right? Remaining? Okay. 
No, but again, but again, it's... this is based on, like I said, my criteria of number of times I've seen it, yeah. what it meant to me, the significance, the nostalgia, all that kind of stuff mixed in, yeah, in together. Yeah, that's fair. Again, but again, I think, I think, despite the fact that I do love the film, and I think it's a great story, and again, it's the only film that I bought in 3D, so I could watch it at home. Yeah, of course. Again, there's a lot of significant things to it. Absolutely. But it is so long that it's not a normal film that you can sit down and watch no, just casually. No, it's not. It's, it's also, which which makes it difficult. It's more of an event film. Yeah, I get that. Which makes it difficult. I get it's that. It's kind of like The Hateful Eight. I love that film, but it's an event film. It is. But also, I'm always ticked off by the fact that I'm not sure if it's meant to look animated or not. And it kind of annoys me more than it should. Because I just feel like the entire thing is just... There's one... It looks like a Pixar film to me, there's but one it's not meant to be. Sh- there's one shot the entire movie there is one shot where it fails horribly mm-hmm. the moment where uh Neytiri is holding the human jake and puts the mask yeah. on him so he can breathe and he's, yeah. he's in the human body and she's holding him and it's the mm-hmm. blend because it's the animation and the live action literally interacting there and it yeah. fails. It looks so bad. It is the, the one film... moment, all movie, the one moment where the animation fails miserably. The film also is a little bit, in some ways, pornographic. Um, <laughs> um, by that I mean, uh, there are scenes where the, you know, they have those strands in the end of their yep. hair, yep. their long hair. The way they interact that with the animals and like and um, home tree or whatever, and they just have the little critters like the, the little strands linking into each other. It's a little bit. It's that deep connection concept. That, yeah, that but it's a little off. bit of National Geographic kind of, yeah. you know, animals in the wild mating kind of thing. I think it's just there is a bit yeah. of that there. Bless you. Yeah, it's thank you. It's just a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where it stands between being. Mm. Um, an amazing piece of art film and being a little bit kind of wanky or too much. And again, I keep coming back to it. Is it meant to be animated or not? Is the point that he's meant to be, this whole thing is real, like this looks like a live action film? Because it doesn't. It, Like I said, it looks like a Pixar film with some real people in it. Yeah. That's my issue with it. That's what what John Carter is. crazy. That's what John Carter yeah, was. Yeah, well, there you go. That's a, that's a live-action movie with Pixar animation in it. Um, there you go. All right, my number six, and I absolutely... There was no question this was always making the list. The Imaginarium yep. of Dr. Parnassus. Right, okay, yep. Um, it's... Unfortunately, this movie for years has gathered attention for the wrong reasons. It garnered a lot of attention because it was the last movie that Heath Ledger worked on. He did not complete filming it, unfortunately. Um, The only saving grace was that the nature of the movie was such that the scenes he had not finished were quite easily able to be shot by other actors. And it worked into the story. Have you seen it? No. But you know, you know about what happened with covering the performances. Yeah, yeah. So for those of you that don't know, Johnny Depp, Jude Law, and Colin Farrell each c- 
came in, they took over filming Heath's scenes and all the money that they would have got for taking the role, they gave all that money to his daughter Matilda because he had not rewritten his will to include her in it after she was born. He just he never he never got around to it, like to rewriting the will. Um, the th- the scenes that the three actors took where they each take over his performance are the scenes that take place in the Imaginarium. So the Imaginarium is this fantastic gizmo that lets you go into a world that's not entirely real. Um, mm-hmm. The Imaginarium was provided for the Doctor by the Devil, who is played deliciously well by Tom Waits. The Doctor himself is played by Christopher Plummer. Yep. Who's, he, he's doing well, given he's getting on in years. He, he's doing really well. Yeah. Uh, but the film has a wonderful cast. Uh, in addition, it's got Lily Cole, Andrew Garfield, Vern Troyer, and everyone's in top form. It's a Terry Gilliam film. So, for those of you that have seen his films, and, and we were just talking recently about his work with Monty Python, but when he's not with the Pythons, he has done some really weird and wonderful movies as well. Brazil, 12 Monkeys, um, the, Brazil. the Brothers... 12 Monkeys, yes, I love both yep, of those films. The Brothers Grimm. <clears throat> yeah. Like, the dude is awesome. He makes really interesting films, and Parnassus is no exception. So if you haven't seen it, I would urge you to watch it soon. It, it is a lot of fun. I'll have to do that. But, I'll have to. But yeah, truly unique film. It's very hard to describe the plot properly, um, but it's it's kind of a race against time movie, and it's interesting. Okay, I'll have to do that. Um, for me, number six is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, the sixth film, sitting in sixth place. And you told me not to put um, it on my list. Why did I do... Yeah, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. I said you had to make some critical decisions. (sighs) Grumble, grumble. (laughs) Okay. You had had a lot of struggles to do it, and it was on my list. I did. I had a a top 20, yes. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, again, you had to make some really... You had to make some really tough decisions for yours. You were really struggling. The way I looked at it was... If there was room to move, a Harry Potter film could come off of that list. Because that's... Because it's in a series... You put it down to the one alone. You can say what you want to say about yeah. it as well. I know that you have things that you want to say about it. I know that it's kind of an honourable mention for you. I know that it's there and it's of significance. I'm putting it on there because it fits. It fits the list. Yep. Because I didn't struggle as much as you did. Um, it's it's my number six because, um, you know, it's funny. I think we've already spoken about them previously, but but I mm. put um, Prisoner of Azkaban as my favourite Harry Potter Same. film. Same. Um, I probably put this one at number two, and yep. I think you're the same. Yep, I am. Um, you know, so I, I think that um, when this film came out, and you know, we're already heading down down that dark and kind of twisted world of of Harry Potter, and and we're seeing where things were going, and um, you know, in many ways, the writing was on the wall, like the Chamber of Secrets. Um, yeah, I thought that this film was significant. I thought that the way that we saw different characters, I thought that the way that we saw different sides of people was... Um, yeah, I thought it was tough, and it it, it, it it was us 
saying goodbye to Hogwarts in many ways, you know, as being this it really safe was. haven or this. Yeah, you know, despite what else happened in the film, um, I think that the biggest goodbye was to Hogwarts, and I know that we did see it again. Um, it still was about us saying goodbye to the place, which was kind of, a, like I said, a safe haven. It was um, security. Well, it's our last year of them the at school. Yeah. And I, yeah. I remember reading... I, I still remember the first time I read the last, like I read the Half Blood Prince, and mm-hmm. I I even felt it then. I I felt like man, like it's very. They talk about the castle a lot. It's really heavy on yeah. the school when it's there because obviously they're delving in and out of the memories, and they go to the cave, and mm-hmm. like the, there are a lot of moments that take you out of Hogwarts. But when they're there, they're so entrenched in there, and they're still delving into secrets of the castle and and showing different function of the room of requirement and just it yeah. really was trying to drive home a point so I, th- I think you're right like i think it was very much it was our chance to say goodbye to hogwarts because when we do go back there it's not the same they're not for a different reason yeah they're not there for school they're there because the school helps to offer them their final stand because it does. It's what Hogwarts does. Yeah. You know, it has these. It has these things. You know, help will come to those that 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 need it. Yeah. You know, at Hogwarts, and um, we see that we see that the school can protect them. We do, it does its best to protect everyone, and and uh, you know it offers, you know, help like the Room of Requirement. You know, it has all these little features in it that that are for the benefit of the students. It lets it be a playground for the students. Um, yeah. The film's all about Hogwarts to me for the most part. And, mm. uh, yeah, I, I love it. And, and again, it's one of the stronger ones in the It's Harry also Potter the romantic series. comedy of the series. Yeah, very much the romantic comedy of the season. <laughs> it's got one of my favourite lines of the films at all. And that is, um, Harry, sir. <laughs> I think that is wonderful. I think that's one of the best parts. But then also when Aragog uh. dies and then uh, the professor accidentally breaks off Aragog's um, pincer and Harry goes look out for the, the, the pincers <laughs> that's um, and then yeah just when the, the, the pincer <sighs> falls off and then you see the professor not know what to do with it and just drop it and hear that thud of the yeah it's got some great moments in there um, I love McGonagall's in- why is it always you three <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> see it's got it's got some great lines and it's got yeah, it's it's a lot of it, it looks like they had a lot of fun doing this one. This one was a lot it of fun. It does, doesn't it? Um yeah, so that's why it's on the film on the list at number six. And look, again, I know I said I, I gave it as a suggestion to go off the list, and that's because Harry Potter was a staple of many, many years. Yeah. I think it I think it can take not being on the list yep. when there are so many other kind of single standalone films from the year that, that maybe needed that focus as well. That's why I suggested that one, because it was part of a series like that. Fair. Um your number five? My number five is quite fitting at number five. It's 500 Days of Summer. You would be on your list. I knew it. It had to be on my list. It just, I've watched it so many times. It's a different kind of romantic comedy. And it, would you even call it a romantic comedy? What would you call it? It's, it's a romantic comedy. It's a tragedy. It's a... a musical in one. <laughs> it has its it has its scene in Central Park. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's an incredible piece of filmmaking. 
I love the storytelling technique. I love the way it jumps through the 500 days in no particular order, except that mm-hmm. it does help tell the story by jumping the way it does. It's yeah. clever. It's sweet. It's touching. It's real. It's very real. It It's not... It also has It also has one of our favorite furniture stores in it. It does indeed. It, that is my favorite scene in the whole movie. The two yeah. of them running through Ikea only to fall on the bed and have him point out to her that there's a Korean family in the kitchen. <laughs> it's just... It's so clever. Oh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's... It, and, and it's him, and it's Zoe Deschanel, and the two of them together, and that's such a winning mix. Mm. Have you seen, they've they've gone ahead and, and done some music together, which is on YouTube. Um, no, they, they just They just jammed together and, and did some songs together, just because why not? Yeah, why not? Lovely. Both of them Fantastic. are very gifted musically, and yeah just a, a weird cool thing it's also got a very young chloe moretz in there playing joseph gordon levitt's younger sister yeah 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 chloe moretz and i Lovely. i also love the fact that he writes the greetings at hallmark for the hallmark cards yeah yeah like what a cool thing it's a job that no one ever really thinks about but it's such a no, really interesting thing when you do think about it hmm Mm, absolutely but yeah great absolutely. great film and it needed to be there somewhere and i think number five is quite suitable good selection good choice and good reasoning there um for me my number five is moon um a film which you have not seen yet oh, uh, i wanted Sarah to Rockwell i'm, I'm glad Spacey. now that i didn't watch yeah. it beforehand because that would have made my top 10 even harder <laughs> yeah yeah look it definitely is up there for me um number five is the perfect place for it uh, film I've seen many times now, mm. and uh, look, it's the the story of being on the moon, um, doing a very kind of industrial sort of job, um, monotonous sort of job. Um, the way they make it very, yeah, very w- real, um, but very, very confusing, and there are some great twists and turns in it. I'm not going to give anything away in terms of storyline because I know Drew hasn't seen it and I want him to see it and I want him to love it. Um, Sam Rockwell does an amazing job. It's the first time I saw Sam Rockwell on screen, to be honest. Um, really? And uh, Yeah, yeah. And uh, That's he crazy. did an amazing job. Yeah. Uh, he, but it, look, he does an amazing job in a film which wasn't so kind of mainstream. Um, again, the, the way they paint it and the way the reasoning for him being there... Um, is perfect. They very, they explain it to us very well, um, and then all that happens for him. Um, yeah, Moon is a great film, and again, you know, it it's it's uh, um, it's got one of the best kind of. Um, I don't want to tell you what it has one of the best of of all time. I think, but it it has one of the best somethings in the film, and uh, yeah, amazing film, amazing film, and. Um, yeah, it plays with your mind, and I love that, and I think it's so good, and, and uh, yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, I would say it was highly underrated when it came out, and I think it, it's just, yeah, I've seen it so many times now, I think it's great, wonderful, and perfect for number five. I really want to watch it, and I will soon. You need to. You I need will to watch soon. It. Yeah. All right, number four, The Boat That Rocked. Yeah, fair enough. Have you watched it? 
No. Oh, my God. Or have I? I don't know. Tell me about it. It's about a pirate radio station operating just outside of the UK. Seen it, it, loved it. Yep. Seen it and loved it. Good. Yep. Seen it and loved it. Good. Good. Yeah. It is from one of my all-time favourite writer-directors, Richard Curtis, the genius who also wrote and directed Love Actually. This was Mm -hmm. his follow-up to that. Right. It has an incredible double soundtrack of hits from the 50s, 60s, a little bit of the 70s. It's mostly 60s because it's rock. It's when rock was revolutionizing the airwaves and the British government decided to put a ban on rock music after they were already limiting the amount of airplay it was getting every day. They then Mm -hmm. cut it completely. So pirate radio stations were the only way that rock music was getting out there. It's it's a very real thing that happened, and they put an incredible spin on it with a fantastic cast. I I wouldn't even know where to begin with that cast. But man, what what a team, what a movie, what a soundtrack. It took me years, but I finally tracked down a copy of the film on Blu-ray that made me really happy. I got it a couple of years ago. Um, I have seen that movie so many times. It is marvelous every time. I've only seen it the once, but it's it is an amazing it's film. So like good. it is a great film. I can't remember and, when, I, when I saw it, and, but yeah, it was excellent. And Kenneth Branagh playing the politician that's out there to shut <laughs> them down. Yeah. Oh. So uh, and good. the way they played to the bitter end. Yep. Kept it going as long as they possibly could. They really yeah, I did. It. Great story. Ah, uh, the boat that rocked. Number four. Uh, for me, um, number four is taken. Yes, it's taken. Now, this one more leans on the side of um, nostalgia, for sure. Um, Liam Neeson being a total badass, uh, trying to do the best by his daughter. I thought it was... I think that, for me, what it was, because I I wasn't... I know so much more about film now as being friends with you, you know, than what I did before. And when I watched this film, this was very... In some ways, it was very new to me, and by that I mean, it it it. I think it is. I'm not sure if it. I think it is though. It's a European production with Canal Plus or Canal Studios rather than being a US based one, um, which gives us a very different kind of storytelling mood and feel. And they don't need to conform to the same kind of things as what Hollywood requires. Mm. It feels like. Um, Yes, it has the same sort of beats. You know, it all becomes a happy ending and blah, 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 blah. And then they milked it for all that it was worth for two other films. But nonetheless, this film on its own, when it, when it came out, it's still alone in that it was... Um, it was an interesting take on being a, um action movie where it had a lot of heart to it. And action movies don't always have heart. This had a very real kind of ploy which is the desperate father trying to get his daughter back and doing everything he could to just just hold on to the last little tantalizing bits of of um clues and 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 trying to to deal with people which are absolutely not designed to to face yeah you know someone with such such phenomenal skills and that's that's what's different a lot of action movies just have it where they're suddenly total cronies which can just be or goons which can be just just you know, smashed to pieces and they are just normal people. This one, it, it very much feels like he's doing things 
very methodically and very intentionally and not just you know he he is affected when he kills someone rather than being like oh, oh well who cares so he only does what he has to do and again it's all in the desperate fight to get his daughter back um and the the way he does things that the the way he goes about you know getting a translator and stuff like that to, to you know it's just i find it fascinating the way they told the story and the way they took it and the way it was set in paris and stuff mm. like, that. like i thought yeah they did a great job t- telling the story and i've seen this film so many times like so many times more than i think all but maybe the top three in fact do you remember it was just number four it was always quoted at school oh absolutely but even 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 saying good luck became a thing because everyone wanted to be like remember how he kills the guy based on good luck yeah even saying good luck like that became a thing you know this this film just I mean, obviously, there's the iconic speech that he gives off and everything like that. But, yes. but you know, this film was just a game changer for me. And again, it reinvigorated the kind of action film genre, which was kind of getting a bit stale and is continued to get stale, sadly, I think. Um, and this film was kind of like a nice injection shot of adrenaline, you know, to that, that genre. Because um, it gave it heart and that was different. And also, it's just an iconic bloody film. Taken with Liam Neeson? Fuck yeah, it's got Liam Neeson in it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, That's why it's I love it. I love all three Taken films. Yeah, I know, oh. but no, you can't go past the first the one. The first one is just brilliant. The second one ups the ante, but does mm. the same sort of thing. The third one, he crashes a fucking car into a plane. <laughs> yeah, just, yes, he does. It's the greatest thing. You just—I remember <laughs> sitting in the cinema watching him driving the car. I see the plane. I'm like, he's gonna fucking crash it, isn't he? He's gonna drive yeah, straight he's, he's into the plane. I've turned to Andrew. I'm like, he's gonna drive into the plane. And Andrew, like, yes, he is. And Jesse's sitting there like, no, 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 no. wait, no, no. He's gonna drive into the plane. Watch. And he did. <laughs> and he did. And he did. And it was and so perfect. It was glorious. Oh, so good. All right, all right, all right. Number three. This is where it gets down to real crunch time. The top three. Mm. Oof. I don't know if you've um, made any guesses on my top three based on what I haven't said yet. <laughs> I'm not sure. I have ideas, but I'm, I'm waiting. I feel like you could probably guess two out of the three. I'm not sure if yep. you're going to guess the number three, which is this one here, which is Watchmen. No, I could have guessed that that would be in the top three. Oh, okay. Maybe you did predict all three then. (laughs) Look, Watchmen. I am in a minority that thinks Watchmen is not only a great movie, but also a great superhero movie and arguably the best DC movie. Sorry to those of you that think Wonder Woman is the best DC movie, but you can get stuffed. No. Watchmen is incredible. It is deeply faithful to its source material, almost to a fault. The on- they only made a handful of very small changes, and the changes they made work well for the film. Zack Snyder was still able to make amazing films at that point in the comic genre. I'm sure he's still able to make great films, but I think he's burnt out of comics. And Watchmen was so... It's so different. Have you... I'm assuming you've seen it. Uh, not all of it, to be honest. 
Honestly, because it's a long it. fucking film. Yeah, it is but really it, but long. I, I enjoyed what I saw. Like, I I can totally I totally respect that idea that it's the the best DC film. Yep. Um, this was this. I think that what was best for this one was that it wasn't DC trying to work out how to be different from Marvel. It's because Marvel had just kind of begun with what they they were doing. The um, so they they kind of had their idea. Yeah. They could do what they wanted to do on their own. The perk with Watchmen is that Watchmen is a graphic novel that it's its own book. It's not something that weaves in and out of the rest of the DC universe. It is set in an alternate reality, 1985, where superheroes are outlawed at this point. Um, There used to be the Minutemen and then the Watchmen, and they've all been removed the only one that the only two that are sort of out in the open is ozymandias who revealed his identity and became quite a successful icon and dr manhattan because there was no way you were going to hide a neon blue dude from existence that was just not going to happen um anyway the premise is that someone is starting to kill off the old superheroes and so the remaining ones get together to try and figure out who's doing it and why. As they do that, the doomsday clock is ticking closer and closer to midnight as the Cold War is still raging on in this reality. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot going on. There is a lot of chaos in the world. And in amongst that, you've got this ragtag group of former superheroes trying to figure out a mystery and save the world. Mm-hmm. It's unlike anything I'd Every I'd ever. Tale. I had never seen something like Watchmen before. I'd. I don't think I'd. I think I read the graphic novel after I'd seen the film, but it didn't matter yeah. to me. Like I, I I didn't care what the order was. I had never seen a superhero anything that could not care less about showing off superhero antics. It is a hard-boiled yeah. detective drama that happens to be to do with superheroes. Which I, I love that idea, and I feel like I need to go back and watch it, because that is the kind of thing that I love. Again, it's... it's I hate to say it, it's the grit. The grit. It also has you know, it, uh, someone that you like to watch in it. Patrick Wilson of The Conjuring Films plays the Night mm, Owl. Yeah. And absolutely, he's very absolutely. compelling in it. Like... He he does dramatic dialogue really well, and he gets his fair share of it in this film. I'll have to get there. But it's I'll have to get there. It's a great movie. There is there's so many different cuts. There's a regular cut. There's a director's cut. There is the ultimate cut. Like th- there is a lot there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what else. Oh, of course. Um, it is, I think, to this day, the only movie to have a very graphic sex scene set to Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, just, I don't... It's I can't just ridiculous. I can't think of any other films that have that, to be honest. It's just ridiculous, but it's perfect. <laughs> um, there's also good use of Bob Dylan in the film as well. Lovely. But it's just it's a wonderful movie. Uh, one that I've watched over and over and I still enjoy it as much now as I did the first time I saw it. Also, if you haven't seen it or if you have or whatever, go to YouTube, look up Watchmen Trailer 3 
it uses the song Take a Bow by Muse, and I think it could be one of the best movie trailers ever cut. There you go. Movie trailers are fantastic, and I know, mm. I know we've done an episode on them before, but yeah, yeah movie trailers are great. Like, I think we'll need to do a follow-up. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah. Because you can talk forever about movie trailers. We can. So come on. They tell so much story alone. They do. All right. Um, You're number three. Number three for me is Up. Now, <sighs> yep. Up, Up is up there because I think if the film was 15 minutes long yeah. and we had the opening scene alone, that is one of the greatest, saddest, most gut-wrenching pieces of film that I've... I think I've ever seen. Like, what an amazing thing! And look, um, look, it's a Pixar film, which means it is yeah. very, very much for, for children. You know, it's all for all ages. Um, and what I know that Pixar does does children versus adult very well, more than anyone else. In fact, I would say. But I think that this, what this movie does, is that it it creates a lot for parents to have to explain to kids. Um, hmm. And it says things about love and it says things about loss and, you know, about the idea that, you know, someone not being able to have children but being able to, to do what they want to in life anyway and be as happy as they can. Um, and, oh, and, like, at this point, I have to mention as well, that score by Michael Giacchino is just... I don't... <coughs> I don't need the, the I don't need to watch it without getting sad listening to the music. The music feels so fleeting and it it makes you feel so full of life and happy and you know innocent and hmm. you know fun and then feel so lost and like you've lost so much. Didn't he win well. the Oscar like, for that, that score? It's amazing. I hope he did because um yeah, look, you know, and and then the the story, uh, the story itself, yeah, the, the rest of the story, the fact that it is about a man wanting to um, achieve something for the woman that he loved, um, you know, and he's he knows he's an old man and he needs to do something about it, and he he goes to set off what he wanted to do with his wife, and this time <coughs> he has with him, oh dear, the lovely little um, boy scout with him who um, the kid who. Yeah, the bloody kid, and uh, yeah, like Up is just such a sweet squirrel, wonderful movie, squirrel. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, like to me, it, it has if, to be in this top ten. It, it sits so high up because it is just. I felt like that as well, and thing. and I'm I'm absolutely gutted that I had to pull it out of the top ten. Mm-hmm. But if I could give the yeah, and if I could give that first fifteen minutes the top spot, I would. Because, because, like, ah, uh, you know, you think think about it, and just how hard it hits you. Like, it's hitting me thinking I, about it. I I get it that. Is just you get the most amazing thing. You get the lump in your throat thinking mm, about it. Like, I, I I rewatched it only a few weeks ago. Actually, I, I completely spur of the moment just before Christmas. Actually, mm. I I, th- I think it was just before Christmas. I. Or maybe just after. I, I don't even know. It was... I had gone and done some... I think I'd done some Christmas shopping or something. I don't, I don't know. But I, I re-watched it and I just... I cried through it. 
like I do every time I watch it, which yeah. is why I don't watch it too often, because it actually just wrecks me every time I see it. <laughs> yeah, like you can't, you're not prepared for that. No, and and but but again, like the boldness to have that as the opening scene to, mm. movie, to make that kind of and that's set you up for what what you have and, that's and that's, that's bold that's the thing about pixar they are bold they're gutsy they're not mm. afraid to do something that'll push the barrier yeah i love that about them um yeah, yeah look number two avatar it, yes it's, no I, and it's, I and again i totally respect it being that high up it's, i do respect it's an it event and it was the yeah. event. I remember I, that was the first time a movie trailer was getting a countdown. There was no information about the movie, no poster, no no images. It, there, there was a picture of James Cameron next to an um, next to one of those beds that the humans lie in when they go into their avatar bodies. That was the mm-hmm. only footage or shot of any kind to do with it. No one had any clue. And they had a countdown to the trailer. And the trailer was this incredible reveal. And I remember sitting up to all hours of the night at the computer. I did not have a laptop. I was sitting at the family computer till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Similar to what I'm doing right now, by the way. It's 2.20. Yes. <laughs> um just to see this trailer and it blew my mind and I knew then that I had to book tickets and see this thing as soon as it came out I knew I needed to see it in 3D I knew I needed to go on the opening day it just I had to I had to be I able to say IMAX, I remember I just knew I knew that decades later I would want to be able to say I was their opening day for that What what's most amazing about Avatar is that you know as you said there, you know, referring to how I said it, it was like an event watching it. It, it, I love the fact that you can remember it being called James Cameron's Avatar. And it was like, okay, everyone needs to go and see this movie. Even if you don't like films, you have to go see this movie. It almost felt in some ways like it was compulsory for everybody, everybody did. to go and see this movie. Even if you didn't give a shit about it, you had to go and see it because you had to see what everyone was talking about. I've- and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it was the most amazing cinema event, and and I can't recall a single film which hasn't has had. You know, I, I know that other movies have now beaten that the, the the amount of money it brought in, but just the event that that film was, it's like it's still in cinemas. Go and see it. It's still in cinemas. Go and see it. Oh, it was just this thing. Oh, look, I I have that movie to thank for getting my job at the cinema. It was so like I'd had my application sitting there for ages, but they were playing it so much and the place was so busy that they called me up and said, look, we need to hire someone. And I literally, yeah. it, it, because it was going so hard and it was only, I think, two weeks in when I got that call. And I, t- I took the job and I remember that movie played for 16 straight weeks at our cinema. It it was it, again. It was this massive thing of everyone has to go to the cinema, and it didn't. It stayed for months, yeah. and then it left only to come back in August of uh, 2010 in the special edition with the yeah. with the extended footage, and 
again, it was just an event. And, and you're right. Everyone had to see it, whether or not they were even going to like it. Everyone had to go no, watch it. Y- you know, and, and unlike other films, you don't say, let's go and see Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park or Steven Spielberg's yeah. or You know, you this was James Cameron's Avatar. You have to see this film. And it was... And everyone went, okay. But it was the first movie he'd done since Titanic. And mm. Titanic was an event movie. It, it was just this thing. And... It was the same for Avatar, and I will I will never forget sitting in the cinema and watching in the 3D, watching the cigarette smoke off Sigourney Weaver's cigarette, and it felt like that smoke was drifting through the cinema, and I swear myself and about three quarters of the, the audience were waving their hands in front of their eyes trying to push the smoke Get away. The smoke away. Now, that film, to me... It's funny, to me it makes James Cameron sit above in his own category of directing, which is, yep. for those two movies alone, he is the event film director. Like, it's kind oh, of like, yeah. he sits at the very top of the pile. Even though I think that Steven Spielberg is probably a better director overall, James Cameron's the only director that makes these event films. Everyone else just makes great films. He makes event films. He does. He the, really this does. This scale, this level. And I don't know why and I don't know how, but he does. And this is where it sits, and I can only hope that the next ones... And again, I know it's not sitting number one of box office income again, or still. It's not It's not there anymore, Avatar. But it's the only film that does... That did achieve that level of hype, and did achieve that level of, you know, people going to the cinemas. And this was before... This was as, as social media was kind of just kicking off. I got my Facebook in 2009, and this film was as big as what films are now on social media back then and that's impossible because it was so such an insignificant kind of no one knew how to play it properly but this film was everywhere yeah it was everything and you know it, it almost felt like if you weren't promoting this film for free if you weren't promoting this film you were a nobody so everyone even though you know no one was paying to or being paid to advertise for it or talk about it but everyone was because everyone needed to be on board this train yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was huge. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's an amazing film, and yes, it only sits at number seven for me. But, but I don't, I don't disagree, disagree with anything you're saying, Ooh. and that's why when I gave it my seventh place, it's because I had those reservations for it, not because of how great it was. It's so good that it's kind of, it's automatically sitting at the top, and it required me to push down on it and like give it some force to see what you know, yeah, what it had to give back and and that's that's where it got pushed down the list is is that is, is that alone yeah i get that i do yeah all right that brings us to your number two yeah it's the hangover that's where the hangover sits wow. for me now yeah yeah and look it does because of the significance of what it is um it's not an event film absolutely you know it's not that at all but it's what it did to the comedy industry and comedy genre and it's it's the tale of these completely incompatible people. Yep. Um, and, like, I haven't laughed that hard, you know. That, that's probably mm. one of the benchmarks for film. And just how wild it was. Um, I think the fact that that's where, you know, a lot of us were introduced to Zach Galifianakis. Yep. Um, 
you know, I think that since Dumb and Dumber, we haven't had the original Dumb and Dumber. That they haven't allowed a character as clumsy or stupid as that to be on screen. Um, you know, and, and by that I'm referring to um, Jim Carrey's Lloyd Christmas in Dumb and Dumber. Not since that have we had a character like that, and Zach Galifianakis brings that kind of level of ridiculousness and absurdity, full on seriousness, but total absurdity, you know, to, to the big screen. And I think that the, he did an amazing job at that. Um, and, and then, you know, Bradley Cooper, like, everyone played such a real person that you couldn't believe that this was a film, but it was a film. Yep. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it was... Ken Jong. It's, I've... Oh my God. <coughs> yeah. Leslie yeah, I've Chow. I've rewatched this film so many times now. I've, I've watched this... I mean, you know, I've said that for several films on this list, but no, this one I think I've watched the most besides number yep. one. Um, you know, Up, I hadn't seen as many times as, say, Moon or, or Taken, mm. but um, The Hangover, I've seen more than those two, and, and only less than number one. Um, the Hangover, you can watch completely out of turn, completely randomly. Yep. I want to watch a film, I'm going to put The Hangover on. You know, it can be a background film, it can be all of your attention, it can be it just works. a date film, it can be a, a dinner with a TV on film, it can be whatever film it can be. If it's on TV, you, you linger and like you just kind of stop and then you end up sitting down mm. and watching the bloody thing. You know, it's so so easy to watch and so easy to watch from any point in the film. You don't have to start from the beginning. Um, this yeah. film does really well at standing its own two feet. It does really well at having memorable moments. You know, you, you think of so many of the significant moments in it and think they're from different films. No, they come from this film. Mm. Um, there's the, you know, is this actual actually Caesar's Palace? Like that line, that's one. Um, there's the whole scene with... Um, with... Uh, um, what's his name? Um, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's Tiger. Um, the Tiger song. The scene with Ed Helms. Yeah, Ed Helms' Tiger song. Um, there's the police scene where they're in the police car. There's the scene where, you know, he gets tasered. They call him Fat Jesus. Like, there's so many <coughs> elements of in this the film. Which face. Are just, I, they're just <laughs> iconic film moments on their own. And this film... I tell you, just, I, I can't drive yeah. anywhere without seeing a baby on board sticker on the back of someone's car and it's the baby from The Hangover and the, next to it. <laughs> yeah. It's huh? such a common thing now. It, it's all come out of that movie. Yeah, The Hangover was, <sighs> was a big film. It changed deserves, so much. It gets... Yeah, and it gets a lot of credit for it, but it deserves so much more even because it's just so amazing as a movie. I particularly um, love the Dan Band playing at the end, doing oh, doing their cover of Candy Shop. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. You know, and again, there's iconic moments all through throughout the film. Yeah, you know, not just the not just the the main storyline or the main points. Like you can just think of so many things and go, "What film was that from?" All from the same mega film, mm. um, The Hangover. Yeah, it's my number two. Oh my goodness, I'm really happy about this. We have a shared number yeah. one. Yeah, do we, we? We do, we do, because you haven't named it, and I I knew. I <laughs> I wrote mine, and I looked, I was like, he's going to do the same thing. There was never any question about this. I'm really, Good. I'm really happy Good. about this. Number one is Inglorious Bastards. 
Yes, oh. it is. Thank goodness. I got scared for one second there, but yes. No, no there, there was no need to be of scared. Of course it was. Of course it bloody well was. We got to watch Brad Pitt scalping Nazis. Brad Pitt scalping Nazis. We got introduced from a Western point of view. We got introduced to one of the most oh. absolutely phenomenal actors of all time, I think, and that is Christoph Waltz. Oh, he's so amazing. There is... What's amazing about the movie is that, to me, that opening scene sets the scene. It tells you this isn't like a normal film. Yep. This one doesn't require your big Hollywood actors. Yes, it does have them in there. Absolutely, it doesn't have them in there. It has Samuel L. Jackson doing the voiceover. It has Brad Pitt, you know, as the leader of the, um, you know, the Inglorious Bastards. Um, but the opening monologue or, or dialogue scene between the, the, the French farmer... Mm. Um, Monsieur Lapidit and uh, Hans Lander, I think, is to me one of my favourite moments in cinema. It's so mesmerising, isn't it? Moment. Oh, it's. I've watched that scene so many times, and I've stopped a movie after the opening scene. A bit like Up. Yep. You can watch that opening scene alone and be blown away by it, and it sits so high up the list. You know oh. the way that the way that Christoph Waltz and Quentin Tarantino as a director is able, and as um, the writer, um, is able to uh, show someone going from being terrifying, but trying to reassure you that there's nothing wrong and I swear everything's okay, to then suddenly being like, no, you were right the whole time. You should be terrified of me. Um and you are terrified watching. You you feel so sympathetic to the French farmer, mm. and you, you you can't believe how just the way he twists and turns and makes you feel afraid the whole time. It's amazing. It's just mesmerizing to watch him, and all of them. I I love Eli Roth as the bear Jew. That's just. Him and that, and him and that baseball bat. Pathetic. BJ Novak is so funny in it. Oh my god! <laughs> the, all of them. Diane Kruger, who actually is part German and um, did her own um, dubbing for the character for the German version of the film. Oh, perfect! And she does perfect. it for for any role she's in. She'll overdub her own part. Right. Yeah. Um. I didn't know that. Yeah, just weird fun facts. But all of them, every... Again, a very quotable movie with a lot of scenes that everyone remembers. How how often do you yeah, hear absolutely. someone go, Gorolami? Gorolami. Dominic de Coco. Bravo. <laughs> Margarita. Margarita. <laughs> um, Michael Fassbender, for as little as he's on the screen, does an amazing job yes. as, as well. Yes. Um, you know, such a small... But again, it's one of those scenes where... You know the camera work, that, well, the cinematography, and then the script, um, and then the way they act that scene is fantastic. Them playing even um, um, celebrity heads, and then even Mike Myers yeah, in his menacing. brief moment. Yeah, no, it, it, absolutely, exactly, exactly right. Um, they're all just everyone's in top form. You can see they're all there because they want to be there, and it's just fun. It's clever. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It understands that its subject matter is deeply touchy and must be carefully trod on. Um, in the in the same way that he handled 
with a very deft hand once upon a time in Hollywood and the Manson family, he's applied that mm. to Nazi Germany. Yeah, it, it absolutely. And, and I think that what's, what's quite interesting is along the li- same lines as, as, um, you know, pulp fiction, pulp fiction, for example, um, is, well, and once upon a time in Hollywood, he kind of comes and goes from this idea of having completely different storylines, which end up crescendoing into one big kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and and this film, you know, it's got such different storylines, which they kind of start from the same point and then end up in completely different points mm. and then come back together again. And the way the story kind of intertwines between the two different storylines and and how we can get to such a similar moment, um, yeah, like it, it's it's a masterclass in in dialogue writing, I think. Um, and I think that's where I first learned just how wonderful tarantino is with 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 dialogue Mm. um because it's one of my favorite movies for dialogue um i think that the way the the cinematography is is phenomenal as well there's one scene where um the bastards are trying to get out of a german just after the bear jews come into it um where he tries to get information from a soldier about where the um the the german uh, german german um soldiers were in the field yep um and the the way we're going from um, uh, uh, Aldo the Apache asking the question, it being translated, and the German soldier giving the information, and we're just kind of like a tennis match going between these three characters, hearing their dialogue and seeing only them on screen. Um, yeah, like uh, it's a masterclass in so many things. Again, the cinematography, the dialogue, um, and the acting. You know, everyone did such an amazing job, and this film is just by far my favorite film of the year and again it's it, it's up there in my favorite film was films of all time yeah i couldn't agree more um in the interest of the time i think we can fly through our honorable and dishonorables rather quickly yep so do you want to give me your uh, your dishonorables uh, yeah i'll give you my dishonorables dragon ball evolution i was going to put that on there and i didn't but Ugh, just shouldn't exist. Blotch on a fantastic thing. Uh, Cirque de Freak, the Vampire's Assistant. I watched it. It was so average and forgettable that when I saw it on the list, I was like, oh, that, that was a thing. Dishonorable mention. You were just a waste of time. Uh, Terminator Salvation. I get what they were trying to do. They failed. Sorry, but they failed. It's it, it's mm-hmm. like two or three different movies in one. It doesn't work. It's a waste of Christian Bale. The only thing that came out of it was to give Sam Worthington a tiny bit more notoriety. And even then, no need. Just a yeah. waste. A waste of Terminator. And X-Men Origins Wolverine. I shouldn't even need to say anything about that. That is just an abomination. <laughs> Now, uh, to my dishonorable mentions, I've got Fast and Furious because um, <laughs> it was the, the year the year the fourth film came out, and uh, what it did, I think, was it unlocked um, this unfortunate floodgate um, of awful films which have now come out of that franchise. Um, the first three, first two were great. Third one, interesting, different take, and I appreciate that it was a different take. Um, and then they went through and did the rest I've, of them. And I've grown just, to appreciate the third one as a good movie. It's taken me years. No, I, but... and, I, 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 and I and I agree. You know, for the time, it was it was great. Um, yeah. 
you know, then we got the fourth one, which is just yeah. Suddenly, just... we'd gone away from everything we love, which was all about street racing and that. And kind now of we're in a heist the underlying... Yeah, the underlying message of the first three films wasn't about the the street racing and stuff like yep. that. It was about the fact that he was a police officer. It's the fact that we kind of got to somewhere completely different, and now they're shithole, garbage, terrible. Um, I've also gotten this. And we're going to keep watching them. No, I wouldn't. I haven't. I've stopped. Um, Gooby is a steaming pile of shit. Robbie Holtrain, off the back of playing Hagrid, decided to go and make another movie where he was a teddy bear that came to life, like Ted, um, except this one he's basically Robbie Holtrain-sized. Um, and it's just, again, a steaming pile of shit. I think you should go off and watch Drew Gooden's um, review of it, because it's amazing, and it, oh, they show you all the best bits of the film. Um, Terminator Salvation, I completely agree. It's a waste of a Terminator film. It was meant to be a new... Um, trilogy and it started off in the worst possible way and yep. they scrapped it um, yeah I thought that was a total waste um, such a shame we have 2012 on this list as well man like there are only, there's only one other film where I wanted to walk out of the cinema and, and so it was this one and Olympus Has Fallen and 2012 was total trash and I said to myself oh I'll watch it you know on New Year's Eve of 2012 because you know the Mayan calendar thing I couldn't bring myself to do that I've never watched it again since um, Fantastic Mr. Fox is on the list because I think that Wes Anderson shat all over what was one of my favourite children books and basically made it a Wes Anderson thing rather than a Fantastic Mr. Fox thing. So I think that he totally wasted that and I'm shattered by what he did. And he completely changed the character of Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, still as confident as ever, but, but just completely different. And The Lovely Bones is on there as well because it is messy and random and takes too long to tell the story because it wastes our time with just having all this random totally tripping on acid stuff about the the limbo or wherever she was like it just a waste of time um don't know about the book but the movie was scrap honorable mentions drew uh honorable mentions taken of course Coraline, which i desperately wanted to get into the list and i couldn't do it so it actually got number 11 not that we went that yep. far. Up, of mm-hmm. course. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood yep. Prince. Nine. Yep. I don't know if you know Nine. Yep. There were two different movies called Nine that came out that year. One was a numerical nine. One was the word nine. This one is the mm. word nine. It was a musical that was adapted to film about a Italian film director who was meant to be making the next great ma- masterpiece picture only he had writer's block and he couldn't come up with a script or anything, but he already had his cast assembled, sets were being built and all of that. But it centers around this dude and all the different women in his life, both past and present. It was Daniel Day-Lewis, Nicole Kidman, Sophia Loren, Judi Dench, uh, Marion Cotillier, um, Penelope Cruz, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, like just... Basically, Daniel Day-Lewis and the most amazing cast of women. Oh, and Kate Hudson. Okay. Just, yeah, just fantastic. Right. Uh, Zombieland, of course. Where the Wild yep. Things Are, which probably should have made my list. But, yep. again, too too difficult. A Christmas Carol, the Jim Carrey one, the, the one done with yes. motion capture. Incredible. I really love that film. Fantastic Mr. Fox. I'm sorry, but it makes my... Um, my honourable mentions. I love it. I think it's an incredible mm-hmm. film. Um, I love Wes Anderson. 
I love Roald Dahl. I love the book. I didn't think it ruined the book, but that was just me. And last one, Invictus. Yep. Fair enough. Fair. Uh, rattling off mine, I've got... Now, the only reason this is on there because is because of the game it created. I've got X-Men Origins Wolverine because it created what? or spawned one of my favorite PlayStation 3 games. That's the only reason why it's on the list. Terrible, terrible film that ruined, potentially ruined Deadpool, um, but brought us... It did give us Ryan Reynolds acting as Deadpool, though, so credit where it's due. Um, but otherwise, it was a waste of a, a, an X-Men movie and a waste of, an, of a Wolverine movie. And I think the only saving grace for this film, besides it giving me one of my favorite games, was if they'd done other Origins as well. The fact there was only Wolverine um, ruined it a lot, as well as the movie itself being scrapped. Um, we have 500 Days of Summer on there. The Invention, Invention of Lying is on there as well. Love the Beast, um, the documentary. Oh, the Eric about, Banner um, car documentary. Yeah, Eric Banner and his car. Yep. Where the Wild Things Are. It's one of Sarah's favorite movies, and it's such a sweet movie. And again, mm. that's an that's an example of executing a childhood book perfectly. It is. Um, unlike Fantastic Mr. Fox and the Taking of Pelham One Two Three. Good choices. Yeah, with Denzel Denzel Washington and um, John Travolta. Very good. Great choices. film. Yeah. Yeah, that's my honorables. Sick end of the week, Drew. The entire cast and crew of Inglorious Bastards. I would love to give it to them. Yes. I completely agree. Good choice. Yes. Um, yep. Happy with that. Cast and crew of Inglorious Bastards. You are this week's sick end of the week. Woo. Drew, we did it. We got through our um, look back at the start of the decade, because obviously we did um, this, the, 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 the end of the decade with 2019. We've now done the start of the decade with 2009. Drew... Phillip. That is our Cat Street Rewind number one. Um, yeah. That was fun. We did it. We did it. It was fun. Alrighty. Oh, I can hear our wonderful theme music already chiming in. I think it's time yes, it for us to go now, as they would say on Play School. Yes. But how do we end our show? Oh, well, we say, yep. Yep. <laughs>